So I wonder, I wonder if you guys have ever been in this situation where you're all, you're all experiencing something together and then something changes, something happens. And as you look around, every person is interpreting the situation a little bit differently. So let's say that you're at a Super Bowl party. Football is about to start soon. Um, say you're at a Super Bowl party, and as you're watching the game, at a critical moment, there is an interception, maybe by the wrong team. Or at the wrong moment, your team does not convert on third down. Now, as you look around, everybody is experiencing the same situation, right? Everyone is watching the screen and experiencing the same situation, but it can be really interesting how different people respond to the same situation. There's those people that start jumping up and down and screaming at their team, right? There are other people that just hang their head in defeat. They're done. They're going to give up. They're going home early. There's other people that are trying to encourage everyone. Come on, guys. It's not over yet. And then there's some people that, hey, they're just there for the snacks, right? They don't even care about the team. Um, but maybe they're mad at the people that are taking it so seriously, right? But it's interesting how you, we can be with people experiencing the same thing and yet have such a different reaction. Why is that? Why is it that we can have such a different reaction based on the same information, the same circumstance? And the reason is our heart. Each person has a different heart, a different heart that is focused on something. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be focusing in on what is the heart? How does the Bible talk about the heart? Why is it so important? And then what do we do with the heart? What are we called by God to do with the heart? So last week, Dustin started off our mini-series. Um, we kicked off just a short three-week series on the book of Proverbs. And last week, if you're here, you remember that Dustin explained what Proverbs is. It's a book in the Old Testament and it's one of the books in wis of wisdom literature that we have. And Dustin started off last week by explaining that there's kind of a foundational truth to Proverbs. Even though there's a bunch of little one-liners in Proverbs, and there's a lot of wisdom to be had, there is a theme that runs the beginning of Proverbs, and it's kind of the foundation that everything else rests on. And if you guys remember it, it's that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You guys remember that? The fear of the Lord is a foundation of wisdom. And that is going to be true for us today as we look at another part of Proverbs. And there is so much to Proverbs. If you've read through it, you know there are so many things that you can teach on. Um, the possibilities are endless. So today, instead of trying to tackle a big section, I want to really focus in on verse 23. And I'm doing that because as I was studying it, I feel like this verse, even though it's a small verse, it has huge implications for us. But then also it, it is connected with a lot of things through the rest of the Bible. So we're going to dive in and we're going to look at verse 23 specifically. I wanted to read those surrounding verses to give us some context. But now let's go back. Let's read verse 23 again. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So to really understand this verse and to find 
all that God has for us this morning, I'm going to ask two questions. And that is going to kind of be our structure, structure for this morning. I'm just going to ask two questions of the text and kind of see how the answers apply to our life. So the first question I'm going to ask is, what is the heart? What is the heart and why is it so important? So that's kind of the first question with two parts. What is the heart and why is it important? If the wise words of Proverbs are telling us to guard our heart, then we should know what it is. So we're going to first look at what is the heart and why is it important. And then second, we're going to look at the question, what does keeping the heart with all vigilance look like? So that's, that's our structure. Pretty simple. So let's, let's get to it. First, what is the heart? Well, the Bible uses the word heart a lot. I actually went through and looked up how many times the word is used, and it's a lot, both in the old and the new, and I was going to pull out different references, but if I did that, we would be here for way too long. So I also found a really helpful quote um, from a Christian author, counselor named Paul David Tripp, and he explains how the Bible in all of the different areas uses the heart. So I'm just going to read this quote to give us a picture of what the heart is. The Bible uses the word heart to describe the inner person. Scripture divides the human into two parts, the inner and the outer being. The outer person is your physical self. The inner person is your spiritual self. The, syn the synonym the Bible most often uses for the inner being is the heart. It encompasses all the other terms and functions used to describe the inner person, such as spirit, soul, mind, and emotions. These other terms do not describe something different from the heart. Rather, they are aspects or part and functions of the inner person. Does that make some sense? So when we look at how the Bible uses the heart, it actually includes a lot of different things. So the, a lot of times we would use the word heart maybe just to describe um, our emotional side, maybe our romantic side, um, when you let your heart go. But the Bible actually, it's an umbrella term that includes a lot of those different things. It's the inner person, the inner core of who we are. Look at that. We just answered the first question, all right? Okay, now we're going to answer, but why is this important? Why, why does this matter? Well, the cool thing is that um, we don't have to question because the, the text tells us. So if we look in verse 23, it actually tells us why the heart is so important. So look at it again. The Bible says that the heart is important because from it flow the springs of life. Well, what, is, what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean to have a, a spring flow from your heart? And this one is a little easier to understand if you look at a different translation. So I looked in the NIV translation, and what it says is guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything that you do flows from it. So think about that. The Bible is saying that everything comes out of our heart. It's like the control center for our lives. You can think of it like the cockpit. So if something is guiding, if something is controlling your heart, makes sense why it's pretty important, right? Um, the heart, what is, the heart is the thing that is responsible for guiding our actions, our thoughts, 
our desires, even our emotions. So when you understand that, then it makes sense that the heart is pretty important. It guides everything we do. So my question for you, if that is true, if the heart is guiding you, what's in your heart? What is leading you? What is controlling your emotions, your actions? What is drawing you? It's a hard question. And it's not, it's not always clear how we can do, how we can figure out what's in our heart. But I'll give you an example of one time where I did a little, a little digging in my own life. All right? So if you know me, you know that one of the things I love most is basketball. I love playing basketball. I love watching basketball. Uh, and what I found is that different times when I'll come home from the gym, um, I'll come home and talk with Sarah about how the game was. And sometimes I come home on top of the world, right? Like, I come home, and I'm stoked. Uh, the games went well, and I'm just excited. And then there's other times where I'm, I'm not so ready to brag to Sarah. I'm a little more frustrated. Something's going on on the inside. And these emotions that I felt are actually really helpful because sometimes you can't tell what's in your heart until you see your emotions, until you see what comes out then it leads you back. So after doing this for a little while, I started to think, what's going on in me? What, what is it that, that sometimes I come home ready to brag to Sarah, and other times I'm so frustrated at this game? And if you would just think, oh, well, Josh, that's easy. What's in your heart is that uh, you love to win. And so when you don't win, you come home bummed. And that's easy enough. But as I thought about it, it actually wasn't true. I didn't really care about winning or losing that much. Yeah, it was nice. So I kept thinking, maybe it's if I play well. Maybe if I play well, then I can tell myself that I have value, and that's what's in my heart. But even as I thought about that, I realized that's not totally it. Because there's times when I'm having fun, my heart's okay, and I'm not playing well. And as I really dug, as I was learning about these, this heart idea that everything we do comes from our heart, I realized in this moment what I really cared about was not how well I did, was not winning the game, but it was actually how the other people viewed me. I realized my whole mindset was that I wanted the approval of others. And when I was playing with my friends and I felt like I had their approval, it felt okay. But even if I played well and I felt like I never got the approval of other people, then my heart wasn't okay. And this was a good realization. It was helpful for me to realize this because then I was able to confess that. That what was in my heart as I was playing basketball wasn't a love for God and loving others, but it was actually a love for the approval of others. And now, this might seem like a weird example, right? You're not about to go out and hit the basketball court maybe, but this happens in all of our lives. There are, we have emotions that come up, we get frustrated, we get angry. And instead of just saying, well, I'm frustrated because this external thing happened, it's good to try to trace back those emotions. Okay, yes, that, that external thing happened, but what's in your heart? What is really guiding you and making you frustrated? What I've learned is that these things that get, creep into our heart and take our affections are called idols. And our le- unless our heart is focused on God, these idols will be controlling us. And so that's why I ask you, 
what is in your heart? What is guiding you? What is controlling you? What is pulling you to do the things you do, to feel the way you do, and even talk? And this is, this is really important. When you understand that the heart is the center, then it makes so much sense that the Bible would talk about the heart a lot. And the Bible does. God is more interested in the heart than anything else. In other religions, all you need to do is conform externally to the moral code that they, that they give you. God wants your whole heart. The Bible shows us over and over again that while we can fool other people and we can look at it on the outside, God sees directly into our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. There's no fooling God. And this truth, this truth that God sees our heart, that God cares about our heart, is actually throughout the whole Bible. It's not just an Old Testament idea, and it's not just a New Testament idea, but it runs throughout. Jesus refers to the heart a lot. We've actually seen this recently as we've been studying the book of Matthew. Matthew 15, 18, this is Jesus speaking. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what Jesus taught, that your heart is the thing that guides you. Jesus also replies after he's been asked, what is the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? How does he reply? Uh, that you would go to church, that you would externally conform to all the things that I give you, that you would be a good person. No. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus is making it clear that the greatest commandment isn't just to obey, to be a nice person, to conform, but God wants our hearts to love him. The heart is what Jesus is focused on. Because if you conform externally to do a bunch of good things, you can fool people, but you can't fool God. Jesus is looking for a heart that truly loves him. So many people, as they're, they're getting into religion, they'll open the Bible and they'll read through it and say, what do I need to do? Okay, this is telling me a command right here. I'll try to do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fulfill this command. Check, check, check. I'm good. But that's not Christianity. Christianity isn't a lifestyle that you can just try on, but it's a change of heart. God wants our hearts. Now, if that's true, as I was thinking about it, that's, that's a scary thing. That's a scary truth that the Bible tells us. Because here's the thing, we can't fake it in Christianity. So many things in life, so many areas in life, we can fake it till we make it. We can kind of learn as we go along and just watch other people do it and we'll be okay. But with Christianity, you can't fake God. Now, people are really good at conforming, right? And I could impress you that I'm very spiritual and I don't, I don't use bad language and I'm a nice person and I could fool you into thinking that I really love God. But in my heart, what I really love is your approval. But that's not Christianity. That's not a heart that loves God. God is looking for a heart that loves him, not religion. We can try to fool people. We can, 
We can conform to exterior things. But Jesus sees right to our heart. And here's the thing. If you think I'm a good person, if I think you're a good person, that doesn't matter. We have one judge, and that's Jesus. And he sees right through us. That's a scary thought. We can't fake it. It's also encouraging, too, because I don't have to justify myself to anyone else. We can focus on our heart, and God sees that. But here's the problem. While God calls us to obey him and follow all of his commands, we can't do it. We can't really do it unless it comes from a pure heart, right? Think about when Jesus gives a sermon on the mount, and he's, he's talking about the law that was given to them. And he says, yeah, you can conform. You don't have to have adultery. You can commit sin in your heart. You can lust after someone and commit sin in your heart. Jesus is focused on the heart. It's a problem because naturally, we don't have hearts that love God. And are we just supposed to change our hearts? Are we able to do that? After this, after this message, you're able to, okay, now I know it's about the heart. I'm just going to change my heart. I'm just going to change it to love God. Can we do that? Can we change our hearts? And according to the Bible, we cannot. Jeremiah 17, 9, talking about the heart, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not looking good so far. In Matthew 15, 19, Jesus says that out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Still not good. And finally, as we look in Romans, as the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul, as he's writing about our hopeless state before a perfect God, listen to what Paul writes. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He goes on in chapter 3 and says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is a problem. The problem is that God, a perfect God, is looking, he wants a people for himself that don't, aren't just good people, but love him from their hearts and worship him. And that doesn't describe any of us naturally. That's not us. Naturally, we are sinful. We love ourselves. Instead of loving people and using things, we use people and we love Our hearts are naturally bent in on themselves. So how do we fix this problem? How do we get a new heart? Well, we can't. We can't fix the problem. But the amazing news of the gospel is that Jesus has already taken care of the problem. The Bible explains that we are given new hearts, not when we try to force our hearts to conform to love God. No. We are given new hearts when we hear the gospel. When we hear the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for us, God actually uses that to transform our hearts. 
to give us a heart that can love him. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We, have, we are able to get new hearts when we hear the gospel, and God uses the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. And this is the gospel. The gospel is the amazing news that although we naturally are dead in our sin, with hard hearts that love ourselves, that don't love God, we love the things of the world, Jesus died for us. Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus came and lived the life with a perfect heart that we can't. And he died on a cross to pay the debt that we deserved, the debt that we rightfully earned. Jesus took it upon himself. He died on the cross, and then three days later, he rose again. Through Jesus' sacrifice for us, he now offers us a new life. We are forgiven of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. And Jesus gives us a new heart. Not only that, he gives us an inheritance in heaven that no one can take away. It is the most mind-blowing thing you can imagine. The gospel is good news for people in desperate need, which is all of us. And this good news is available to anyone that would receive it. Jesus offers this to anyone who would, who would hear the gospel and repent of their sins. They can have this. It is open to anyone. So have you done that? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Because if you have, the gospel tells us that he has given you a new heart. You have a new heart that is capable of loving him and worshiping him. Whereas before we were saved, we have hearts that can only love ourselves. Now God has given us a new heart that is capable of loving him. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. Listen to how the Old Testament talks about this when they prophesy about the new covenant. Ezekiel in 36, 25 through 27 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel in the Old Testament was prophesying, the Holy Spirit speaking through him was prophesying about this day when we would hear the gospel and our hearts would be made alive by the Holy Spirit and now we can love God like we were supposed to. We have hearts that can love God that's the gospel message. That's the good news of Christianity. But the story's not over. Because with these new hearts, while we are able to love God, we still fall into, into temptation. With these new hearts that the Holy Spirit has given us, we are still drawn away. Instead of keeping our eyes fixed on the truth, on what Jesus has done for us, and constantly growing in love for God, we allow things in our life to steal our love. We allow things like little idols, like the love of others, the love of comfort, 
the love of success to creep into our hearts and take position. And when they do, they will guide you. They will lead you. They will guide your life. So, so now we can go back to Proverbs. When we understand all this, we can go back and we can look at Proverbs and see that God's command to keep our heart with all vigilance, it just makes sense. We see that God is telling us, protect this heart that he has given us because the heart is so important. Everything we do comes out of our heart. It controls us, so we need to guard it. And what does that look like? What does it look like to guard our hearts? What it means is to keep our hearts focused on loving God alone. So to guard our hearts means to keep our hearts focused on loving God alone, not allowing any affection for anything else to creep in. So just as it is my job as a husband to keep my heart totally in love with Sarah, so it is my job as a Christian to keep my heart totally in love with God. Does that make sense? I wouldn't allow other women to sneak in and steal my affections for my wife. But we allow things to sneak in and steal our affections from God. And when we have these idols built up in our hearts, they draw us away. Our actions show. Proverbs 23, 19 says this, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Proverbs is telling us, guard it, but then also direct it. We have been given this new heart, but now we need to protect it. So finally, we can ask the last question, what does that look like? Now, after understanding all of this, of what God has done through the gospel to give us a new heart, if you are a believer, what does it look like to guard our hearts? And there are a bunch of ways that we could apply this, but I want to give us three really quick practical steps of how we can focus our hearts on God. So the first, the first way that we guard our hearts is by guarding our heart with God's word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the first way is we use God's word. God's word is the best tool that we have to help our hearts stay focused on loving him. The truth is that we live in a world where we are constantly being surrounded by new ideas and temptations and things that slowly slip into our hearts. We're being influenced all the time by what we watch, what we listen to, even who we talk with. We're being influenced. And what happens if we're not careful, if we're not making sure that God's word is the first thing that defines us, then we will slowly start being pulled away by these idols. I know for myself, like I told you before, the love of the approval of others is an easy idol that I need to work on. That it's so easy for me, and I don't even realize it, that my heart has been pulled away to love something else. I need God's word to remind me of what is true. And the God's word reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of who God is. But the most important thing is 
God's word reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us that while we are desperately, desperately over our heads in sin, completely helpless, way more sinful than we want to even acknowledge to ourselves, God has completely paid our debt. And he is way more loving than we can even imagine. It teaches us those two truths. Recently, I've been reading a lot of counseling books for for one of my classes. And in each one of these books, they highlight the gospel over and over and over again. So as I've been reading these last few weeks, it's just been gospel all day washing over me. And I can't can't even help but just not be joyful because God has reminded me of what he's done for me, that my heart doesn't have to try to find satisfaction in something else. It's been so encouraging. So I want to challenge you to study the Bible personally, to study it as a family and to listen to it being preached. Fill your minds with the gospel so that your heart will overflow in love for God. When your heart is filled up with a love for God, then your actions will follow. So that's number one. Number two is we guard our heart with true fellowship. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God did not call us to guard our hearts by ourselves, but we are called in a community to love one another and to call each other out where we might see an idol in each other's life. And this is hard. This is really hard to do. To, to call one another out, to encourage one another to believe the gospel is not easy. Right? We bump up against one another. We get frustrated with other Christians. I remember when I was overseas working with college students, and I was on a small team of really devoted Christians. And I remember being surprised how hard it was to be on a team with other Christians. Almost every other day, there was something that came up. There was some sort of conflict. There were some ways that I offended them or they would offend me because we were in really close community. And I remember I had this idea. I had this thought, you know what? If I just stop hanging out with these people so much, I'm not going to sin as much. I'll fix the problem. I just won't hang out with these people because clearly we're just bumping into each other and making each other frustrated. I think that's what, how a lot of people see their Christianity. If it's just me and Jesus, we're good. I can love Jesus all day. I can't love other people. But me removing myself from community never solved anything. Because the problem wasn't other people. The problem was my heart. The problem was that my heart loved something else. And when they got in my way, when they didn't do what my heart wanted, then it came out. My emotions were exposed. And so... Instead of dealing with the idols in my heart, I wanted to run away. But that's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us as a church community to love one another and lovingly show each other that Jesus is better than any other idol that we can have. Finally, point number three is we guard our hearts with prayer. King David, when he was at the height of his power, made a huge mistake by sleeping with another man's wife, having that man killed, and then covering it up. And when he is confronted, he comes before God, and we get to see what he says in the psalm. And he says, 
Create in me, O Lord, a clean heart. That is what we need. When we, when we see our emotions getting riled up, when we get mad, when we get frustrated, when we get angry, and we actually do the hard work of tracing those emotions back to the source, we can then ask God to clean out those idols in our heart. And this is not easy. It's not easy to do the hard work of really tracing back, why did I get so frustrated there? The easy thing would be to do is say, well, it's that person. It's that situation. It's because my football team is the worst, right? I'm going to stop watching football. But we never actually get to the core of what is in our heart. God allows us. Sometimes he removes these things intentionally to frustrate us, to show us there's an idol. You're not loving me. And it's the most loving thing he can do for us. Reminding us of the gospel that he is worth more than anything else is the most loving thing he can do because nothing in this world can satisfy us other than God. Everything else that the world offers is a counterfeit to the satisfaction that God has for us. He is so much better. So to, so to finish up, we've seen that our hearts are important because they control everything that we do. Whatever is in controlling, whatever is controlling our hearts is going to be controlling our thoughts, our actions, and our motives. And so the, God, so the Bible is commanding us to guard our heart, to keep our heart with all vigilance. And when we understand how much Jesus has done to give us that new life, we do this with joy, knowing that it's, it's nothing. He's given it to us, and now we get to take care of it.